So Mike, no Tristan for this uh, podcast, just me, you, and Dave Howarth from AFP that we've worked with for quite quite a few years, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah. Looking forward to meeting Dave. I think we'll handle it ourselves. No problem without our no. third man. They will go on the lower rate stress test, which will actually allow you to get a larger mortgage. And that's completely opposite to most banks. Most banks will work on the worst case scenario. Dave's a good guy. Dave does a lot of buy-to-let business, but very much concentrated on I'd like to say the amateur landlord market, the first-time landlord market, the, the, the hand-holding rather than the professional. So yeah. really keen to get some understanding on it from him of what he goes through with those people. What I love about Dave with any client that we pass him is he, he spends more time than I find most brokers tend to do to make sure the client truly understands it. So I'm sure in this podcast we're going to go into a lot of detail. Obviously we're going to talk about what's going on in the buy-to-let world changes that have happened over the last few years but it's going to be a good chat and i'm looking forward to it so should we get him on let's do it right everyone i'm here with dave from afp really looking forward to getting stuck into all things buy to lets um let to buys as the case may be as well yeah um but it's an exciting topic because we really want to show landlords out there or future property investors how simple or complex it can be to get a buy-to-let mortgage, maybe from a portfolio point of view, but maybe also from just an individual. Mm. Um, so from your point of view, give us a little bit of a background about Dave. What about Dave? Well, um, I started my career in insurance and um, soon got fairly bored of that. Pretty negative response, nobody wants insurance. So I took the transition into mortgages probably about eight years ago mm-hmm. and it really was a breath of fresh air. Um, no more of this, no one picking the phone up and uh, no no more getting documents back. It was a really nice feeling to be able to help people yeah. with get their dream home, get what they're after there, that asset. Yeah. So since then we've uh, we've built a business, it was myself and a business partner. We've built up to uh, a fairly established company now and um, we do a whole range of things. Yeah, lots of residential, a lot of buy-to-let as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully I'll be able to give you a good bit of input in this conversation. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> So Dave, first question we ask every single one of our guests is why personally did you become a landlord? Good question. So I got my uh, my investment property about 15 years ago now. Um, I actually lived in it to start with myself um, and kept it when I moved on to uh, a bigger and better property. It's great. It is an investment. Um, I, I do make revenue on that each month, which is nice. But to be honest, the main reason is... I'm not sure my kids will get, ever be able to get on that property ladder um, without a big cash injection from mum and dad. So mm. that's the stepping stone for them. That's something I've got in the back of my mind that they can use and and live in and maybe let out themselves one day if they want to in the future. So probably more of a, an inheritance thing rather than anything else. I think it's a great point because at the moment, very much at the moment, money in banks that you've got in savings is so light mm. that that probably relates to a lot of people watching this or hopefully watching this and if it's not tag someone in because there's there's people at certain generations that might maybe think the same thing about their children it's going to be hard for them to get on the ladder mm. they've got cash equity sat in the bank that's making no money because the base rate's so low because interest yeah. rates are so low and at the moment from a buy to let perspective you can make more rent than you could last year and the interest rates are lower than they were last year so Absolutely. which we'll cover in a sec so yeah, um, yeah it's probably a, a, a place that 
hits home for a lot of people. Safety in bricks and mortar. It is. is a classic phrase. If you think in 10, 15 years when my kids are going to move out, you might need to get them a 10% deposit on a house of what value at that time. You know, that could be a lot of money. So invest something now, let that naturally grow with the market, and everyone's a winner, I think. Mm. My logic. Makes a lot of sense. So we've got a body of questions that we want to ask you, um, mainly about buy-to-let mortgages in, yeah. in particular, but slightly off piece will go a little bit, I'm sure, as well. Mike, what have we got first up? So let's look backwards first before we look forward. How has buy-to-let lending changed in the last five years? In the last five years, there's been a big shake-up. Now, you put me on the spot because I can't quite remember when they changed all of what they call the... Um, the, the way they calculate how much you can borrow was dramatically changed quite some time ago. I think it was about four years ago. Mm-hmm. So it used to be very simple. Rent gives you X amount on mortgage. Stamp duty, hol- uh, stamp duty charges were pretty flat at that point. You didn't have the extra um, 3% that you do now. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a, a lively place to be, the buy-to-let market. Mm-hmm. Stamp duty enhancements came in at that point. You had to pay the extra 3% tax. That slowed everything right down. And at the same time, things got very complicated in that if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you actually get less of a mortgage on the buy-to-lets than you would if you're a lower rate taxpayer. And what you could borrow on a two-year fix and a five-year fix changed. So really complicated things. It took a long time for even the banks themselves to get their heads around it, let alone advisors and the general public. So I think that probably slowed things down for a period of time. But as things have become uh, more stable, banks understand the FCA legislation a bit more now, it's all starting to relax. And we've certainly over the last couple of years seen things come back and lending easing so we can get slightly larger mortgages now. And, um, and certainly that's encouraging more people to, to go and invest in property again. So I, I remember, I, remember um, I can't remember the exact year, but one of my buy-to-let properties was very much pension planning have it repaid by the time I turned 55 so I had a, a low I didn't do the classic 25 or 30 I think at the 19 I think at the time I did 19 years mm. to get it paid off for the time that I turned 55 and that when all of those changes came in with the stress testing and yeah. it was I think it was 125 then it was 145 you know your stuff. On, the, on the percentage <laughs> that messed up my whole plan actually at that mm. time and, and when I came to do the financing that stress test failed Therefore, I had to do it on a normal buy-to-let as such, rather yeah. than my initial plan. So yeah. it was quite—it's been quite a, a bumpy road for the back, uh, buy-to-let sort of landlords. Really the last shaking five things years. up, really yeah. turned on its head. But I think the lenders are getting their heads around it, and again, general public are used to it now. So it's—it's mm. it's getting back to a relatively easy transaction to do now. Yeah. So where do you see that moving on to over the next two to three years? I think things will probably, as far as the amount that you can borrow, etc., is going to remain pretty stable. Um, rates are, are really good, even on the buy-to-let side of things. So that is encouraging more people to mm. actually go out and, if, they get, if they've had it playing on their mind, go and do something about it now. Um, my personal opinion, more on rate, I guess, is that we're probably going to see them remaining pretty low for uh, the next few years, certainly another 12 months or so, um, which... I think it's gonna keep that keep that growth going, keep that um, keep that ball rolling, which can be a good thing. Do you think that'll be an additional flexibility that's being given now? Markets have kind of found their feet with buy to that. I think so. I think more rather than rates that how that's going to be impacting the rates. I think that's going to be more on how much 
banks will lend the investors um, without boring too much. Where I said a moment ago, the higher rate taxpayer will probably be offered a lower mortgage than the lower rate taxpayer for all sorts of reasons. A lender like Santander has taken advantage of that. So if you've got two people on the mortgage, one higher, one lower, they will go on the lower rate stress test, which will actually allow you to get a larger mortgage. Now that's completely opposite to most banks. Most banks will work on the worst case scenario. So actually now there are lenders coming in thinking, okay, how, we, how can we read these rules differently and help our investors get up to that 75% loan to value or whatever the maximum is they could they on the need to achieve. So it is making the market think differently, especially from the lender's perspective. Um, you can't compete on rate. Everything is at rock bottom, so they've got to find other ways to, to try and encourage business their way. And that's that's how they're looking at it now. So that's good. So for those who are listening who don't know what we're talking about when we're saying 125 and 145 and stress testing, give us a two minute rundown of what that means. So the way the banks look at uh, the amount that you can borrow on a buy-to-let mortgage, it's all, it's all driven by the rent. So the amount of rent that property will receive each month is going to dictate the size mortgage you're going to be offered. And the calculations that they apply to that rent, it could be 145, actually you think you flip on its head, it's the size mortgage you want if you want £200,000 mortgage. 145, 125, those numbers, that's the stress test that they're applying to it. So if the mortgage was a pound, the rent would need to be a pound 45. Exactly, exactly that. And it goes a step further and they then apply a second percentage to it, which is about five and a half times. So that's if the interest rates get too high. So they're saying, okay, rates at the moment are one, two percent, but what what would the rent need to be Mm -hmm. if the rates went up to 5.5? five and three quarter times, whatever that. So they apply a couple of calculations to it. A, the stress test, which is your one, two, five, one, four, five, and then they apply a worst case scenario interest rate to it as well, just to make sure that rent is enough to pay the mortgage if worst case ever happened. Because it's a commercial mortgage, right? It's not It's not exactly. a residential mortgage. It matters less what you earn and what you can afford to pay. It's more, will the property pay for itself in the absolute worst case scenario, the worst year of worst years, mm-hmm. when mortgage rates go five times higher than they used to mm-hmm. be? Um, so that's, that's, that's where this, this stress testing comes from. So yeah. if you're ever buying a buy-to-let property, if you're a lower rate taxpayer, the property must generate 125% of the rental income. And then the bank will also look at it at a 5 or 6% margin That's based it. on interest rates, not on the interest rates you're being offered today. That's it. You're going to be taking a mortgage out for 25, 30 years sometimes. And yes, you might fix the interest for the first couple of years, but that's only such a short period of time that they're lending the money for. So they look at you know, what could happen in 20 years' time. What are rates going to be up, up to at that point? Because it wasn't always that way. They did take earnings into play, didn't they, for, for quite some time. I, I'm sure I got a buy-to-let um, mortgage once and earnings were taken in calculation, yeah. obviously, before five years ago. But, yeah it's, yeah, it's an interesting way that the banks have tried to almost regulate who they lend to and, and what they lend on, I guess. Some banks still look at it like that, Ian. Some do what they call top slicing, and that is where if the rent isn't enough to get the size mortgage you want, they can then look at your income, and if after they've taken out your residential mortgage payments and any of your, your day-to-day bills and expenses, if they think you've got enough money slushing around at the end of the month, mm-hmm. they can use that to top up the shortfall in rent to give you that slightly larger, larger mortgage. So 
if you know your stuff, there are the right lenders out there that can still help with that. So. Yeah, goes back. We, we say this when we're talking to first-time buyers or investors. If people do their mortgage research on Google, they're never going to get the best quality <laughs> compared to having a conversation with someone like yourself. So, yeah, I didn't know top slicing was a thing. Um, I know that's what I got a mortgage on previously. So it's, that's, that's good information. Mm. So you've already run into question three. Lending criteria explained. Well, that's a statement more than a question. (laughs) Let's look at lending criteria. You're never going to explain all of this without having a four-day podcast, but there's lots of people out there who are maybe full-time landlords, no employment, portfolio landlords who have got more than five properties. They're being treated differently by banks or being retired or self-employed as a landlord. Where does everybody stand? What's the norm? And... As a mortgage broker, Ian just mentioned it. What can a mortgage broker do that Google can't do? Yeah, so let's break that down into two different sections then. So your smaller landlord, if you own up to three buy-to-lets, residential plus three buy-to-lets, you're classed as a smaller landlord. As soon as you get four or more, you go into what they deem as the portfolio landlord criteria. So there's two different books of criteria there. For the smaller landlord, majority of lenders, let's probably say 80% of lenders, need you to have an income of anything between 25 and 30,000 pound a year. That doesn't drive the loan, but they just want to see you've got money coming in. Mm-hmm. They want you to own your own residential property, so be an owner-occupier. And you must have a minimum of 25% deposit, so 75% loan to value is kind of the maximum. You can get 80s, but I'm not going to talk about that because it's unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, so provided you tick those boxes, then the amount of mortgage you can get is down to the rent, like we were saying a moment ago. So for the smaller landlords, it's fairly straightforward. Um, there are a few banks out there that have no minimum income, so they want you to have a job, but there's no actual minimum. A bit more flexible, but they certainly do still sense check it because they worry if ever you've got a tenancy void and there's no nobody occupying the property, how are they going to pay that mortgage? So as long as you've not got lots and lots of debts, lots and lots of outgoings and a tiny little income, you, you should be okay. Is that the same for someone that's not a landlord, that's just a residential owner at the moment that wants to become a landlord? Is it, is it the same criteria they look at for the first purchase as well? Absolutely, yeah. When, as long as you are owner-occupier, that what we just discussed is pretty much what they're going to be looking at, the criteria you've got to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, first-time buyer, first-time landlords, they're tricky goes more into the top slicing side of things that we just spoke about. That's when they almost look at it as to say, can you afford this on your income? Like you would a house you want to live in. Mm -hmm. If you can then, so if you're means tested and you can afford the mortgage, they are likely, two or three banks will probably give you that that deal. Um, But very, very few buy to let lenders will offer you a mortgage if you haven't got your own residential property. So that's kind of the the general consensus on the, the small landlords. If you get into the portfolio realms, then not only do they apply those conditions to the house you want to buy, to the new buy-to-let property you're looking to purchase, they then look up all of the other properties you already own. So they all must have a certain loan to value, anything Mm -hmm. between 65 and 75%. You can't be too top heavy on what you've borrowed against all of those. Those stress tests that we were talking about, they don't just apply it to the one you're buying, they want the rent on your the rest of your portfolio to meet their stress tests as well so you can't be borrowing too much even if the mortgage is not with that lender exactly yeah yeah. so they will actually probably just do desktop valuations and desktop rental assessments on all of your other buy-to-lets could could be could be with 
multiple different lenders, mm-hmm. but they want that to meet their calculations. So it does become quite more com- quite a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is not something that Google will ever, ever tell you. Um, Google will tell you the best interest rate and maybe what fees are attached. Narrowing it down to which lender's going to give you the size mortgage you need, who's then going to sort of be able to accept your personal situation. Maybe you haven't got the 25,000 income and, you know, that headline rate is offered by Santander who won't do it without that. Mm-hmm. So you could quite easily walk into a bank after looking at Google and be rejected on criteria that yeah, you wouldn't have known unless you speak to an advisor. Interesting. No, it's a good explanation because I think a lot of people don't realise the difference and also that, that cut-off then from going from residential plus three mm. into your fourth is quite a significant change. It's, a, it's massive. It's yeah. massive. And so many people do like trying to go to their own bank. They feel, you know, their bank's going to look after them, been with them 20 years, got all my current accounts and savings. Unfortunately, it's just not the case. And you can walk into there and be declined for things that an advisor would have picked up on an early conversation mm-hmm. and come out quite deflated. And it doesn't mean you're not going to get the mortgage. It just means you need to know where to turn next. Um, and certainly when you're in the portfolio realms, I, I would not recommend somebody tries to put that application together themselves. It's a minefield. You need a bit of experience and a bit of uh, knowledge to be able to, to get that right. And we, we touched on interest rates and we've mentioned obviously interest rates are so low at the moment. Um, <clears throat> is there a difference there from number three to number four, or it's just the criteria is different? Um, the, the, the lenders themselves, some do have different uh, panels, different rates that they, they work from. Um, it's more actually what lenders will offer a portfolio landlord mortgage. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of your, your general sort of high street banks that wouldn't even entertain doing those mortgages. They say, if you're not a small landlord, don't come to us. Yeah. And so some of those with the really good rates just don't offer portfolio mortgages. So you are a little bit limited there, mm-hmm. more by the bank themselves rather than the product that they're offering. Um, those that do offer it, yes, they, uh, they they do differentiate to an extent, but it's not. there's not much in it. There's not much in it. It's not enough to worry about, I wouldn't have thought. If you can get four properties under your belt, the difference in rates isn't going to really bother you. Not drastic. No. 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 You're, no. You're doing it for different reasons at that point, aren't you, That's I would it. imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, it's interesting stuff. I think that helps a lot of people, probably Mike, from our perspective, because we, we work obviously with portfolio landlords, but especially around the home counties, so much at the moment seems to be going into, you said bricks and mortar, investing in property yeah. and taking money out of savings because it seems to be at the moment, touch wood, quite a safe bet. Yeah, there's a lot of people with pensions maturing who need to need to do something with that money. While stocks and shares have done really, really well over the last six months, I think people still see bricks and mortar something they can touch, something they can feel as a as the safest investment. Whilst the world changes around them, because you don't know what's going to happen next in the world in the stock market, what's going to perform, what's not going to perform, what's going to go up, what's going to go down. But you know. Property will always have a always have someone who wants to occupy it if it's bought in the right area. Yeah, history tells you that, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, over what ten years, you're not going to lose out on the price of a property, are you? Really, no, it's, no. it's a safe bet. So, on more probably around the portfolio landlords, um, are you seeing any trends in refinancing or anything like that at the moment? Because I would imagine what we're seeing is quite a significant jump in rent prices. Mm. So, when we talk about the stress testing the rents now can probably be valued at a different figure to what they could have been 18 months ago. Um, 
So if people are getting to the point where finances are due for a review, mm. or they're maybe just thinking, wow, I've got a crazy high rate compared to what's out there, I might take the penalty hit. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing anyone kind of acting on that basis at the moment yet? Definitely. I mean, we as a, as a brokerage actively refinance everybody at the end of their fixed terms, whether that's just to secure a better interest rate or pull some money out for a different purpose. But we will actively contact those people and make sure they're always on the best deal they could find. Um, and you're right, Ian. Yeah, rates are cheap, rents are good. Mm -hmm. So that's a much easier process now. Yeah. The values have a lot to play in it as well because everything we've just said, you can't or you rarely borrow more than 75% of the property's value on a mortgage. So no matter how great the rent is, you are going to be capped by that. Mm -hmm. um, so the value has to increase as well as the rent to be able to extract some, some capital from that. But people are doing it. Um, people are doing it to purchase a bigger residential property. Um, maybe they're just doing it for a refurbishment of the house they live in or the one they let out. Or they're looking to invest again. Mm -hmm. And if they have got that portfolio, by the time you've refinanced three, four, five of them, you don't need to pull much out of each, so you're not getting up above those limits that the lenders class as a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got 100 grand that you could go and just deposit and, and go again on a yeah. different house. So definitely something that a lot of people are, are looking into, yeah, definitely. And again, that's a complicated process. <laughs> Trying to refinance three, four, five properties and get, yeah, get your sums right to buy something else. Um, Talk to an advisor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think so is, is, the, is that the biggest trend in your client bank? Um, it depends. I mean, if, if I'm very honest, we probably only 15, 20% of what we deal with is, is involving portfolio landlords. Um, so I wouldn't say the biggest trend. The biggest trend is trying to refinance to just get the cost down, get yourself into a better interest rate and bring those monthly payments down and ultimately make more out of the rent you're getting. Um, it becomes a more profitable situation once you've, once you've cut those outgoings. Um, that's what we're seeing the most of at the moment. Because we, we've seen us get up to the capacity now of 100% from a tax perspective, haven't we, from an income yeah. tax perspective. Yeah. So uh, a buy-to-let is, is now taxable on the full amount, whereas previously it was obviously based on the profit. So you mm. could ramp that buy-to-let mortgage right up margin the rent yeah. and just have it tenant paying off but now that's not profitable to do that but i think what we have seen in the last 12 months is with rents going up and interest rates coming down there now is some significant gains to be made mm. that maybe weren't before so I'd, mm. i would think a lot of your landlords in those portfolios and a lot of the landlords we speak to they're having the best time ever at the moment really yeah, from that really perspective yeah, yeah yeah and something you touched on there um you what you said there is correct if you're a higher rate taxpayer so even in, including the rent into your income, if that takes you into the 40% banding, absolutely bang on. You can't offset a lot of those costs now. Yeah. So you're almost paying tax on all the rent that the tenant's paying you. But the lower rate taxpayers, they can still. They can still offset the, the mortgage yeah. interest costs and everything else. So it's even more beneficial for them. Um, that said, with the interest rates coming down, I guess that's a bit detrimental because the interest you're paying and offsetting is becoming less. But mm -hmm. There's still more profit at the end of it each month, so it can't be a bad thing. Yeah, no, 100%. Time to go quick fire. You were going to go, I was going to go fire. Let's go quick fire, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, we're all, I, I love this question because I think this adds so much value to the people that are watching. Um, but if you were to design the perfect buy to let, 
and say to a client, this is, this is a win-win for everyone involved, or you were to buy your next buy-to-let, what would that ideal buy-to-let look like? Could be anything, you know, are we talking small flat, big house, HMO, commercial, change of use, what, what would be your pers- personal kind of go-to buy-to-let? So, some of those words you just said there make me shiver, HMO, oh, no thanks. <laughs> okay. That's a lot of hard work. Um, but for me personally, I guess from experience, I've found the, the property that I've got already, it's a two-bed terrace in a quite a desirable area, so it rents all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd go again on something like that, probably something floating 250, £300,000 value, two beds, garage garden, so it's appealing to maybe first-time buyers, or not first-time buyers, sorry, first-time uh, landlords, first-time landlords, first-time people renting the property, um, as well as a small family, so they've got room to grow. If this is your first time going out in the big world, renting a house on your own, you could start there with a a friend, as as some of my tenants have, or they can go there with the missus and bring up a family. Mm -hmm. Um, That side of things work well for me. With the lending point of view, if you can get to a 60% loan to value, you're gonna get the best interest rates. So that would be the ideal situation. Get enough deposit to put 40% down, then you're gonna have a really good interest rate, low outgoings Mm -hmm. and if you can get a property that's going to keep the rental coming in in a desirable area um, of a size that I think is is going to keep renting as well for me that's the perfect situation so So freehold low maintenance (coughs) low loan to value low risk but great profit great capital appreciation you can see I'm quite a stud early there can't you (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that that's exactly it I I like the advice because a lot of times when we ask this question people then start with the property whereas you're saying actually look at what you could do with your 40% Mm. uh, cash and look at a 60% loan to value on it because if you could start from that foundation and work upwards, you're going to get the best deal, you're going to get the best interest rate. Absolutely, yeah. I don't like paying more interest that I you know, don't really have to do. So mm-hmm. um, put as much into it as you can and get the best deal possible. Also, in the logic of buying something slightly smaller, so many people come to me saying, oh, I want to buy a five, six, seven hundred thousand pound house. Let out. In my eyes, it's, I don't know, is, you're the guys to ask, is that as lettable as some of the smaller properties that are going to go for these first time renters? Um, would they be better I, buying two small ones? I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think there's lots of families who are willing to pay high, high prices to rent because it's mm. a small marketplace. There's not a lot of choice out there. Mm. Um, I think you get stable rent. I think you get two, three, four year tenancies. Um, and from a capital appreciation point of view, we've all seen the graphs where the appreciation of flats is like that. Terraces is like that, semis is like that, and detached goes like this. Yeah. So yeah. so everyone's got their motivations, everyone's got their um, uh, their agenda for mm. it, which we've spoken about it off camera a hundred times, why, why someone would buy the ground floor flat just around the corner from their house, which is wildly over market value, but it's because in 10 years' time they want their mum to move into it. Yeah. But they'll rent it in the meantime to pay down the mortgage. Mm. Everyone's got a reason. I think family homes for buy-to-let, Absolutely, from my point of view, if you're looking for capital appreciation, a £500,000 house that's going to go up by 20% is better than a £200,000 house that's going to go up by 20% yeah. if you can get the lending on it. I agree, the appreciation is definitely, that's probably the way to go. I think my concern with that is more, if somebody's there paying you two and a half grand a month in rent, 
they're probably in a position to buy. You know, they they they're obviously got some good income. Um, are they going to be a long-term tenant? Are you going to have a big turnover of tenants there? I think probably for me personally, that's what put me off. Um, but yeah, you've tempted me with the uh, the appreciation side. <laughs> Every, of everyone has their goal, don't they? I think if someone is looking to to buy a a four-bed detached house, shall we say, in the home counties. One of the things that's probably different is most buy-to-lets every five years, six years, seven years need a, a freshen up, don't they? Carpets, mm. painting. Mm. And you, with a two-bed terrace, one-bed flat, something like that, it's probably not something that you would see as a concern. A couple of grand, boom, it's done. It's not too much. You get into the realms of the four-bed detached and you need to replace bar- a couple of bathrooms maybe and, and that. You just have to budget along the way. that. Yeah you know you've got 500 quid getting put aside each month to ensure that when you do do that you've got a 15 grand kind of maintenance job being done every five years then get quite pricey that's probably the one thing and obviously you know kids running around a house maybe a pet compared to a couple of first-time buyers that you know they're all they're all neat and tidy in a couple (laughs) showing each other that they're marriage material they're probably going to look after a bit more and be a bit more house proud you'd like to think but never know there's also the stamp duty to think about because that's tiered so stamp duty goes from zero to one two five, one two five to two fifty, and onwards. And the percentages that you pay get bigger. Yeah. As an investment property, you've got three percent extra charge on all of those. So if you're going to buy a couple of properties at two hundred and fifty grand, both of those are in a lower tier than something valued at five hundred thousand, for example. Has to be the long term goal, I think. One hundred percent goes back to the appreciation you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. Crystal ball. What happens next in the property market? You're asking the wrong people, no. <laughs> <laughs> what happens, from my opinion, oh, you really have put me on the spot. I, I, I think the rest of this year is going to be pretty good. Um, I, I, we haven't seen any major slowdowns after the stamp duty holiday ended in its, in its uh, guise that it has been. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're going to see a good Christmas, probably a good start to New Year. You really are asking the wrong man as far as it goes past that though, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll let the world into a trade secret. <laughs> Estate agents always want to know what mortgage brokers want to think. And the mortgage brokers <laughs> always want to know what estate agents think. I want to know how many banks are releasing new rates, how many rates are available, how, how, what the flexibility is like. Mortgage brokers always seem to want to know what the buyers <laughs> So let's, let's try and twist it around from that angle then. So. Five-year fixed interest rates are dirt cheap right now. I think recently, um, I don't know when this is going out, but it might not be the same, you could get a five-year fixed at 0.99%. It's never been heard of before. Mm -hmm. That's got to make you think the banks have got some confidence for the future. They're not going to be putting their money on the line for five years if they think things are going to you know, yeah. go through the roof and, and Bank of England base rates are going to go up and all sorts. So for me, that gives me comfort in you know, probably the next three, four years that if the banks are comfortable lending at that amount, they've, they've, got to have, they've got their finger on the pulse. I think it'll be good. I think we've got some good times ahead. I think the key thing that I keep talking about is the stamp duty holiday brought people a lot of people's moves forward 12 months 24 months 36 months and simple economics based on demand is high because the interest rates are low because people want bigger gardens they want an extra room to work from home they just want a nicer house they've saved a lot of money because they haven't done holidays for the last 18 months at the level they would have or restaurants and this that and the other and as a result demand is high but supply will will be lower because so many people have moved 
earlier than they planned to move to save that 10, 15 grand, whatever it is they depended on what they purchased on. So I think that's the key thing. But I also, I'm intrigued to know what the banks do with the rates because that will dictate the demand level. Yeah. Um, and it will, it will impact whether demand and supply does one of these. So yeah. we're all sitting on the fence slightly there. I think so. They can't, <laughs> rates can't stay as low as they are for forever. Yeah. They are ridiculously low. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we aren't seeing any movement at the moment, so who knows what's around the corner? I yeah. think, yeah, definitely sitting on the fence here. Yeah. <laughs> Last question in the world's slowest quick fire round. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Good input. Yeah. What's the one single piece of advice you would give a first time landlord? I think I'm going to go back to the lines of um, just find something in a great area with great yield that you really are, you're not stretching yourself to something too big in an area that's going to have great rentability, good income for, for the sort of price you're paying for that property, which is the yield we speak about, and keep yourself in the lower stamp duty thresholds because there's no point in forking out loads of tax if this is the first investment for you. They are long-term they are long-term projects, aren't they? Long-term investments. So start off with something you can find your feet with and then if you're enjoying what you're doing and you're making some money out of it, move on from there. Brilliant stuff. Um, Dave, really appreciate your time. Hopefully people watching took some great value from that. If people want to reach you, obviously we'll put your contact details in, but Excellent. they can jump on your website, can they? It's probably Certainly the best shout. can, yeah. yeah. Mortgagewokenham.co.uk, that's us, um, AFP Wokenham. So, yeah, yeah. Facebook, socials, all of those places as well. Mm -hmm. And obviously if you can't get hold of Dave for one reason or another, then you can reach us and uh, we can put you in contact. So, yeah, some great info there. We're going to digest that in a second and talk about some of the takeaways that we've got from it. But thank you for your time. Thank as you, always. guys. Yeah. Been a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it, he earned the name, well, the nickname Uncle Dave within Avocado Property pretty soon, and he lives up to the, lives yeah. up to the nickname. Yeah, he gives so much time and attention. Um, takeaway for you, your kind of takeaway that you took from that? Yeah, interested how banks are now starting to interpret the rules in their own way to, to give flexibility to landlords. Um, where Dave gave the example, if you're buying in joint names, one higher earning, one lower earning, that some banks will now just do the stress test on the lower earn, so on the 125% mm. multiples, which I didn't know. Mm. Um, so it's good to know that some banks are doing something different, being more creative with how they can lend money. Dare I say, banks with a little bit of common sense. Who knows? Well, um, for me, I always like the question when we ask people what would be their perfect buy to let. Whenever we do these podcasts and whenever I ask anyone in general, they always start with a kind of this dream board of what the perfect buy to let looks like from a property perspective. It was really interesting that he looked at it from a finance point of view. He, he effectively said, this is the deposit I've got. If I use that deposit at 40% and got 60% of mortgage, that's the amount of value that I can get to get the best possible rate and then use that as the foundation to go and look, which is similar to how a first time buyer would normally look. Um, and it's quite interesting to see that from a landlord's perspective, because normally you would go with the X, Y, and Z and you'd look at properties. So that was a great takeaway. And if anyone's watching this, they've got questions for us 
after this podcast that you want to fire in and ask Dave, you can comment below, you can DM us. We do these podcasts that hopefully landlords get value. There's no selling, um, you know, we are lettings agents, but there's no selling from our point of view. And we do them because we get great feedback. So um, awesome questions from you, awesome content from Dave. Thank you everyone that's watched and check us out on the next one. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.